He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Jim Woodward, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys with you as always. Boys, Rory McIlroy is now number one in the world in official world golf ranking. We'll get to that sooner rather than later, but Woody... How is the Island Green coming along? Because I am looking outside right now, and it's an absolute monsoon. I would have to assume that the Island Green is getting the water filled in around it. You know what? You're right on, buddy. It is. It is. I'm looking out my window right now watching. Um, I think it'll take a couple more of God's great rains for me. But this thing's looking pretty good. I, I wish it had grass on it. It'd even be prettier. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. I think if we can get another couple of really good storms come through, I'll I'll have close to an island green when this is all said and done. Now, Woody, I mean, and I'll ask T-Dub the same question right after Woody, but Woody, what is the worst weather that you have ever played in? Because we were supposed to play in the Hall of Fame scramble today, the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame scramble up at Southern Hills. I was really excited about it. It's, you know, postponed until next Monday. Uh, But Woody, throughout your career, you had to have played in some crappy weather. What was the worst weather you ever played in? I always love when you give me my story time. This is one that's right there, okay? The worst weather by far I ever got stuck in was at Pebble Beach. And when you get a you get a storm coming off the Pacific for anybody that hadn't ever been out there, it is it is rough. I mean it it will rock your world. I know we have thunderstorms here, but those those big storms. So my rookie year I had played at Cypress Point and shot sixty eight. Now, that was the cool thing because we got to play Cyprus my first year on tour. That is awesome. Uh, then, yeah, the next year we didn't because the PGA Tour went to all the rules about uh, if they don't have a woman at the club, we couldn't play there. So we went from uh, Cypress Point to Poppy Hills. Gentlemen, that's like going from Miss World to uh, Miss Trash America. <laughs> I mean, it's just... <laughs> you can't even believe how much that hurts in your soul when you lose Cypress Point. But... Again, back to my story. I shot 68. I was I was in the top 10 after the first round. I went to Spyglass next and shot even par. So I was still right there. I was four under for the golf tournament. I think I was still close to the top 10 or right in the top 10. It was my rookie year. I was ready. And that Saturday rolled around, and I was at Pebble Beach and teeing off on number 10. Well... To say that the wind was blowing that day would have been an understatement. Now, there were only slight squalls of rain just to make you as miserable as you could. But the 10th hole at Pebble Beach that I started on, I hit a driver, I hit a driver, and then I hit a knockdown eight iron, okay? And I barely got on the front of the green. By the time I came around to number seven, the Goodyear blimp was trying to fly, and what he was doing is he'd come below the cliff, he tried to lift up over the cliffs to take a few pictures, and the wind was blowing so hard it just blew him. It looked like he was going so far out of there. So he left. Number seven at Pebble Beach, guys, you can throw the golf ball on the green normally. It's nothing but a 100-yard downhill shot. You guys have seen it countless times on television. Mm-hmm. I hit a three-iron and did not get to the green. Well, <laughs> long story short, I shot 82 that day, guys, and uh, I not only fell out of the top 10, I missed the cut. Now, it was bad enough playing in those weather conditions, but let's go ahead and embellish this story a little bit more because then the one and only time I was ever fined on the PGA Tour would have been that day. And <laughs> once I had finished my round on Sunday or Saturday, I mean, and uh, if you guys recall at Pebbles, for anybody that hadn't been there, number 10 is as far out west as you can get. So when you finished your round on nine green there, as I did, because I teed off 10 first, that's a long way away, right? Well, I'm 
fit to be tied. I'm not a happy camper. I put my clubs in the back of a station wagon along with a number of other guys at the clubs. We filled the station wagon up with golfers and caddies. And I get in the front seat. I'm on the passenger door. I'm still fuming, but I'm holding my own. And the the marshal, or not the marshal, the volunteer, which is he makes this story worse. And for, please trust me, I've asked forgiveness many times after this, but uh, he suggested that somebody put on my lap for that ride back to the clubhouse. Yeah, that didn't go over very big with me that day. Um, I didn't want somebody on my lap, and I suggested <laughs> to him that no, that wasn't a good idea. And he suggested, you know, I I needed to put somebody on the lap, and then I simply opened my door and I said, I have a better idea. At which point I went back to the back of this station wagon, gentlemen, and I started pulling golf clubs out till I found my bag. As I was pulling, I was ripping caddies out of the back end of the bag with them. So, and nobody was <laughs> going to get near me because if you ever saw that Tasmanian devil, that's probably what I look like. There was shit flying everywhere. I'm just going to tell you. At which I suggested this volunteer where he might want to get a rope and strap somebody to the effing hood <laughs> if he wanted to take somebody else. Well, it it got worse. That That's not as bad as it's going to be, guys, because then I successfully got my clubs out after clubs were flung everywhere. I grabbed my staff bag and took off walking. It's about two miles from there to the clubhouse, gentlemen. That is not a good idea. And as I was walking with my club, Payne Stewart was playing the 13th hole there at Pebble. Payne had a nice gallery with him. I was on the other side of the gallery walking with my bag towards the clubhouse, which Payne saw me and said, Hey, Woody, did you lose your caddy? (laughs) At which point I gave Payne the high-five salute and used the volume as loud as I could to tell him where I thought he could stick it. (laughs) So, (laughs) by the time I made it back to the clubhouse, nobody wanted to talk to me. Nobody wanted to get near me. Um, It didn't take long. I got a phone call, I believe, two days later from David Eager, who was a PGA official that asked me to tell the story, at which point I did tell that story, exactly how it happened. I heard him start laughing. And then he came after me and he said, well, yeah, I believe that you deserve a fine. And I said, yes, sir, Mr. Eager, I deserve a fine and I deserve whatever you think is fair. <laughs> and he said, why don't you just write a check for $500 to your favorite charity and we'll call this good. And I said, that's not enough. I'm going to write it for a thousand. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that was the end of it. I never, I never got fined again while I was on the PGA Tour. I was a perfect gentleman from then on. But on that certain day, with the weather conditions as bad as they were, I was not a very good professional on that day. I, I deserved everything I get. Like I said, I, I wish you would always have story time. Cause story time makes me look really bad sometimes. <laughs> 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 it was one time I looked really bad. But that, that was the worst conditions I ever played in. And not only did I play bad, it cost me $1,000. Now, Woody, now – we don't hear a lot about the fines because they don't ever make them public. So is that how it normally goes that, you know, someone comes and gets the story and then your fine goes to a charity on the PGA tour? At least that's how it was back then. That's the way it was back then. Basically you had to be turned in by somebody, somebody, whether it was a volunteer, another pro and anybody that saw you acting in an unprofessional manner. That's what they usually would call it. At that point, they would put a letter in your locker, and then you were to contact the PGA Tour, and usually you were talking to one of our tour officials, David Eager, who turned that David was a really good player, played the Champions Tour for a while. Um, he was the guy I had to contact. It, it varied with one. You had to talk to somebody, and uh, they would ask for your side of the story. And I mean, you could, you could fight it, Sam, if you wanted, but I didn't have a fight here. I was so guilty. <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, my. I, you know, that I didn't, like you said, when it was $500, I said, that's not enough. And I wrote it for 1000 to a charity. But, yeah, at least that way you get to give it to what a charitable uh, institution that you want to give it to. So 
the the fines on the PGA Tour are kind of—I don't know—they're they're a little bogus. Uh, you know, it, they have to do something, uh, which I agree with. But um, and, you know, they hide them is what I don't like. If you get fined, somebody ought to put it out there that Jim Woodward was a complete ass because uh, <laughs> I would have said yes, I was. <laughs> I wasn't so Woody, <laughs> Woody, what charity did you pick? Where did I send it to? I sent it to, uh, oh, I'll tell you where I did it, uh, St. Jude's, because I always loved in Memphis. I, I thought the greatest thing ever is we got to go tour St. Jude's Hospital whenever you'd play in Memphis, and and to see all those young kids just so sick, and and you knew that some of them weren't going to make it, but let me tell you something, guys. You would never have known it. There was no depression in that in that hospital. Those kids were so upbeat, and, and you you would walk out of there every time I went and go, yeah. And I'm worried about making bogey. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You know. So it was uh, eye open, and uh, that's why I did that because I always thought that was one of the, the coolest hospitals and, uh, that, that were for kids that I'd ever seen. That is big time, Woody. I, I I love that story. You go. No one is gonna sit on Woody's lap today. Now, now, T Dub, you played. Obviously, you won what one or two state championships in high school, and then you played at Oklahoma Christian in college. You had to have played in some terrible weather. I'm curious to hear a story story time with T Dub uh, that we don't normally get to hear. Well, Sam, let's not forget how you and me met. I mean, we were a couple of young bucks playing a tournament. <laughs> it was actually my first junior tournament of all time, Woody, down at Duncan Country Club called the Hodaback. And I'm 11 years old. Sam's eight. And on the second day of this tournament, this nine-hole tournament, I mean, it is raining probably three times harder than it is right now outside. And that's saying something. And we were out there trooping it. It was an absolute adventure. It's definitely a wide awakening to what my future in golf was going to be like because I hardly ever played in good weather, but I do remember a a semester in college. I believe it was my spring semester of my sophomore year, and we played, I believe, six or seven tournaments, and every one of them had just absolutely atrocious weather. We had a, a play down at TBC San Antonio. One of the rounds got canceled because of wind, which, I mean, we played in so much wind, we know to know that never happens. It was blowing like 50 miles an hour. It was absolutely unbelievable. Then we played a tournament at Gallardia that got rained out. Actually had a kid come in who had played nine holes and his fingers were purple and he played. I mean, it was a pretty <laughs> scary deal in all honesty. It was, it was bad. So I, I, I've definitely seen the worst of it. I've never gone out and played with uh, you know the yellow ball and snow. Haven't gotten that far, but I've been about as close as you can get. Sam. <laughs> now, T-Dub, that reminds me we were playing in a high school tournament in Enid one time uh, for the great Edmund North Huskies. And uh, let's just say that it was sleeting on this first tee box in Enid. And, well, it wasn't the first tee box. It was it was a shotgun start, and it was about 160-yard part three. And I remember having to hit three wood that I hit short of the green because it's just dead into this north wind, and it's sleeting outside. Uh, but what it really brings my mind back to is college. My college coach, J.W. Vandenborn, uh, just an all-timer of a guy. He, uh, I think we had a bad tournament or a bad uh, qualifier the week before, and he took us out to Creekmore Golf Club in Kansas City, and it was, you know, barely over 32 degrees, and uh, said we weren't allowed to leave the putting green. So we spent five hours on the putting green in the freezing cold and windy weather, uh, and and that taught us a lesson that we need to try a little bit harder, Woody. Do you have any college stories of, of some qualifiers where Holder made you go out there in some weather? I knew you'd make me tell a Holder story, <laughs> and, and there's so many. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's so many. Uh, our podcast, we could do it all year. Uh, but Holder always had a – this was what I loved about Holder. We had a rule when we would qualify normally because we played most of our qualifying rounds, guys, at Lakeside at that time because we didn't have Carson Creek when I was going to school. So we played Lakeside, and Holder would say that he'd have a double bogey rule. So you couldn't make more than double. Right, because he didn't want anybody to run the round uh, at, at, at Lakeside. It was hard to make more than double. Come on, really? <laughs> so what Holder would love to do, we get a day kind of like this, or even windier, maybe not raining, but cold or whatever it was, and he'd go. Today we're going to Oak Tree, 
and the double rule is no longer in effect. <laughs> and I used to, always, you know, because I'd get in so much trouble with him. And the first time he ever said that, I looked at him and I said, Coach, that might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I said, you can double every hole at Oak Tree or make worse than double on a perfect day, let alone a bad day. And we can't, then you don't take the rule off when we play at Lakeside where you got to be a moron to make more than a double. And he goes, Woody, that's why you're never going to be successful because you've got no balls. <laughs> Suck it up and figure out how to play in those rough conditions. I thought, yeah, okay. I mean, if I was told once that I had no balls at OSU, I was told it 50 times. Okay. By the time I left there, I truly had to search in the shower to make sure I still had balls sometimes because I thought I'd lost them. Oh, that that is absolutely beautiful. Mike Holder and Jim Woodward would have been a sight to see in Stillwater uh, back in the day. Uh, T Dub, by the way, I think we. But did you have Roy McIlroy last week? I know I picked Roy McIlroy, and he was a fourteen percent favorite to win the CJ Cup, and he goes out there and wins by one over Kurt Kitayama. And T Dub, what I saw from Rory this week, and I'm not—I don't even have the strokes gained in front of me. I'm about to, but the thing that I saw just from the eye test was that Rory McIlroy continues to be the greatest driver of the golf ball in the world right now. But however, I feel like he won the CJ Cup this week in South Carolina because of his putting. T-Dub, I know that he birdied 14, 15, and 16 in this golf tournament, but where he really won the golf tournament to me was when he made the putt on number two, and then he made about a 10-foot par putt left to right breaker on number three and kept the momentum going, uh, and it kind of propelled him and got him settled into the round a little bit. Yeah, he definitely got off to to a good start yesterday, and I thought it was going to be a little bit more of an exhilarating finish. You had John Rahm and Rory were tied, I believe, Excuse me, with about, uh, with what, through five holes or so, Rome went birdie three of the first five. So they were tied. I thought we were going to get something uh, rolling there, but no, it ended up being pretty much a Rory show on the back nine, birdie in 14, 15, and 16. Like you said, on 14, the par three, got fairly lucky on, on his tee shot. I mean, it ended up being about probably 20 feet from the hole, mm-hmm. but, but if it was about two yards further to the right, it would have gone down in one of those little collection areas, and he would have been a very, very tough challenge to make a, uh, to make a up and down there. So able to make a birdie there, which really propelled him, and then hit on, on fifth, on 16, hit a really, really good little punch shot underneath the trees because he wasn't able uh, to flight it properly and hit a pin high about 20 feet right then made that putt, which gave him the cushion to where he was able to bogey 17, 18 in to make it clearly. And, you know, you brought it up just a second ago, Sam, that we were talking about if before the week he was a, a, almost a 15% chance to win on the analytics. And we're like, man, that's, the, that's some of the highest we've seen in a, a big field like this. There's, there's, that's too high. That's too high. Well, it ended up not being too high. They ended up being right. And it's, uh, it ended up being a great tournament. Had some really other good play around it. Kurt Kitayama and KH Lee both put up a really strong fight for most of the tournament. And Tita, by the way, I did have a listener um, of the 73rd Old Podcast tweet at me and say, was Rory McIlroy's percentage still too high? <laughs> it should have been 100% for him to win the <laughs> golf tournament. But I did pick him to win the golf tournament. All I was saying was, you know, with that grade of a field, I don't know if anybody has a 14% chance to win, but it turns out that the analytics were right, T-Dub. They absolutely were right. Rory just played overall, for his overall game, he played the best, gaining a stroke, uh, more than a stroke on his driving and his approach shots, and then gaining more than half a shot on putting and chipping. So really every aspect of his game was clicking. I mean, just for comparison, like, for example, Scotty Scheffler led the field in strokes gain off the tee, 1.47 but he lost .76 around the green and lost .08 on the green. So, you know, it wasn't, you know, and like Wyndham Clark as well was second on in uh, strokes gain off the team. He finished 29. So you had to have the rest of your game there if you wanted to succeed. But Rory definitely had um, all that. Definitely those those clutch putts like you mentioned early in the round and then being able to make uh, the putts on uh, or the putt on 16 and then being able to get up and down on 15, which is a very, very tough, uh, tricky shot on that little drivable par four. So it was uh, definitely an all-around great performance from Rory this week. Yeah, and Woody, I got to ask you, because Rory McIlroy, after his round on Thursday, told the media that his goal was to pass Greg Norman and spend 332 weeks at world number one. 
Um, he said, I don't know if I can, but that's the number in my head. Greg Norman obviously spent 331 weeks as the world's top-ranked golfer. So, Woody, what do you see in Rory McIlroy that makes you think that that's an attainable goal, or do you think that that's just kind of his motivation in his own head that that's not possible in modern era? I believe that is motivation for him, and it's another way for him just to throw a shot out there across the bow. Uh, I will say that even as good as Rory is playing and as good as he plays golf, I don't know. I think there's too many good players. I, and I think there's there's too many opportunities when these guys don't play that other guys do for them to get so many world-ranking points that they'll get past. Um and it's just the way the system is right now. Sam, I just don't think there's a way for a guy to stay at number one for a lot of weeks. Unless, you know, there's those rare ducks like Tiger, who was basically it for five years. Um, I just don't, as good as Rory is, and I think he is probably the best golfer in the world right now. But, yeah, I don't see him can do it. And, and I did want to mention to you guys, you made fun of my dark horse. Well, did he look like a dark horse to you guys this weekend? That would have been Jordan Speed. Remember my dark horse <laughs> that you guys threw rocks at me about picking? He looked like a dark horse to me. I don't know about you all. Did, did y'all see the uh, the missed tap-in he had on, on Thursday when he tried to hit it backhanded in the hole? Yes. Yeah, he knocked it about four feet by. <laughs> yeah, speaking of my dark horse, Woody, Aaron Wise did finish sixth in this golf tournament at 12 under, but I want to go one spot ahead of him and ask T-Dub about John Rahm. What did you see from John Rahm this week? Finishes the week at 14 under, tied with Tommy Fleetwood, shoots two under in the final round, really had a solid week off the tee, almost gaining one and a half shots off the tee. Now, the putting was slow at the start of the 2022 season. Uh, it seems like the putting's a little slow again at the start of the 2023 season, T-Dub. Well, one of the first things I want to mention about Rom is that on, on Friday, he played one of the best rounds I've seen in some time. Shot at, shot at 62, which is 9 under, and he bogeyed 18, which is very, very sloppy. Uh, hit a shot on 17 that I'm still questioning how it didn't go in the hole. It looked like it was in the entire way. He just played so solid that day and missed, like, I believe, a two-footer on, on number nine as well. So he was uh, had absolutely everything rolling on Friday. But just for the whole week, I mean, sort of similar to Rory, just not in the extreme aspects. You know, he gained strokes in, in every aspect, really gained a lot of shots around the green over uh, over a shot, 1.26, which is a lot. I believe he had at least one or two hole-outs from around the greens which helped as well, but he just, he wasn't as steady as Rory was. And even uh, Kitayama was just that what you needed to be able to get up there and prevail. Like you mentioned earlier, just absolutely striping it off the tee. I don't think that's ever going to really be his weakness, but gained only point one four on the greens, which is, has been good for how he's been putting, but you scroll down and the, the, the next person you can find who gained less strokes than that was Mito Pereira down in 18th. So everyone around him putted better. So if you look at that, it is going to be the thing that probably held him back from winning this tournament, Sam. Now, Woody, Tita mentioned Kurt Kitayama, and he pretty much played a flawless final round, had four birdies and no bogeys for his final round 67. Um, but what he, Kirk Kitayama surprises me sometimes with how far he hits the golf ball. I went back and looked at his stats from last year, finished 20th on the PGA Tour in total distance off the tee, but he's not a very big guy. Uh, number one, what do you see in his swing that generates so much power? And number two, uh, how do you kind of keep a positive mindset after you did what you were trying to do in that final round, go out there and play bogey-free golf, shoot four under, and, and still don't get the win? That happens in golf more than we know. Uh, you know, I think I think sometimes you can leave the golf course a little bit frustrated when you think you did well. It's almost sometimes easier to leave the golf course when you screwed up because you can find that. You can go right to it. He's going to probably search a little bit and say, okay, what do I need to do to get him? And one of the things you're going to find that we've talked about a lot of times, there's some guys on the PGA Tour that are better than anybody else. Rory's one of them. So, as you go through that future, when you look at his golf swing, though, Sam, he he uh, he downloads the club really well. He 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 lags the club is a better way to say it. He he generates even for that little physique, he generates a lot of clubhead speed right through the golf ball hitting area. The other thing, I think if we don't talk about it enough, 
these guys out there, these drivers are fitted so well to them that they're getting the optimum distance they can out of that club. A lot of us as amateur golfers or some of our listeners don't have all the technology that those guys do. So what it tells you about that guy's driver is it's been fitted perfectly to him. Okay. And, and I think that makes a big difference when you get the spins, right, you get the launch angle, right. They match up with the swing speed and the ball speed. Uh, It becomes a sleeper, like a guy you think, well, I can't believe that guy's that long. Yeah. And he is. So technology, 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 it makes a difference. I promise you it does. Yeah, and then T-Dub, a guy that you've been high on lately, Sam Burns, is a guy that I feel like has to be kicking himself. He putted better than anybody in the golf tournament, Gained was the only player to gain over two shots on the field on the greens. Um, but does it worry you at all, uh, the strokes gained approach numbers, where he was the only guy in the top ten to lose shots, strokes gained approach with the irons? Um, to me, does it, is it a positive that he putted so well and, and still shot uh, what did he shoot? Eleven under uh, for the golf tournament, even though he wasn't didn't have his best stuff ball striking wise. Or, or does it kind of worry you uh, a little bit going forward that he might be struggling a little bit more than it lets on when you look at a leaderboard? I, I, I'm not particularly worried about it going in, into the future. Personally, I, I think it was probably just an off week with the irons. It, it can be. It's a very tricky uh, visual golf course. So if you have some shots that don't necessarily appeal to your eye, it's hard to really commit to it. So. I'm not going to hold too much into it, but I will say this about Sam Burns. I think he's very, very slowly becoming one of the best putters in the game of golf, and he's someone that no one really talks about him in that aspect. I don't know if it's because because he's still so young, or if he if he because he tradi- normally hits the ball so well that people don't really think about it. But he, he's gained more than more than point three shots on the green every single year of his career, and, and I mean he gained point six six on the greens last year, and then going back, he only. Uh, going all the way back to the PGA Championship, there's only been one tournament that he didn't gain uh, strokes on the green, or I apologize, two of them that he didn't gain on the green in about 15 events. So he's slowly becoming one of those, maybe not the quite of a Lauren Roberts or a uh, Brad Fraxton type, but uh, you know, if he can propel and maybe get a couple majors, we might start looking at him in that aspect. And then, Woody, I had to ask you about a guy that we talked a whole lot about last week. That's Ricky Fowler, who seems to be getting the ball striking figured out. But maybe he's spending too much time on the range and not enough time on the putting green. Because this week, Ricky Fowler lost 1.77 shots on the green. And I I saw that uh, Ricky Fowler tracker on Twitter was saying this is the worst he's ever seen Ricky Fowler putt. Even when he was struggling last year, he wasn't putting this bad and so tell the people a little bit about what Ricky is trying to balance going through a little bit of a swing change with Butch Harmon while trying to still you know compete and play some solid golf he finishes the tournament at four under par Woody so you know to me I feel like the ball striking is getting there but the putting is he's losing the putting a little bit that's why I'll tell you guys that's so that's what's so difficult about golf. I mean, how many hours a day is there? How much can you practice? He was hitting the ball so poorly for so long that I, I get where he's trying to get his golf swing back. Anytime you do that, you do kind of take away from the other parts of your game, and uh, which is usually your short game. So. I, I, I said, you know, we've talked about this. I, I think he's going to have a good twenty-three. Uh, he's still got he's still got a lot of demons, boys. Don't don't think that in between those two years of his, he is fighting not only putting woes, driving rows, iron woes. I mean, he he was a pretty low golf professional. You guys, he he had reached down there pretty deep as far as going ugly to work that way back up that mountain. I'm not going to say he's not going to take three steps forward and two steps back a couple of times. He's going to he's going to lose his footing now and then, but overall, I think his confidence is going to get there. And all he needs is a few good weeks putting, and that'll change his whole attitude, just like Scott had. So it, it, it's like taking a jigsaw puzzle, gentlemen, throwing it in the air, and then trying to find all the pieces the first thing you got to do. And then to put them back together, boy, it's like Humpty Dumpty sometimes. It's broken, and a lot of times it it might not be fixed. I still believe 
we're going to see a, a Ricky Fowler. I'll even go out on a limb. I'll pull a Traber on you. I think he's going to win a major in the next couple of years. How about that for a wow. bold prediction? That is a very bold prediction there. Uh, and, guys, I, I want to kind of bounce off that right there and get into the fact that Rory McIlroy is number one in the world now over Scotty Scheffler. Cameron Smith is third. Patrick Cantlay is fourth. John Rahm is fifth. Xander Schauffele is sixth. Will Zalatoris is seventh. Justin Thomas is eighth. Colin Morikawa is now ninth. And Matt Fitzpatrick is tenth. And T-Dub, out of those top ten guys right there, who – wins a major this next year or you know who has the most majors out of those top 10 guys uh this upcoming year i mean it's hard not to pick rory right i mean he just as we talked about earlier he's he's number one in the world now but he's been number one for the analytics for about probably four months now so i, I would definitely have to go with him i think he's motivated him not winning at, at st andrews i think is going to forgive him a lot of a uh, lot of motivation and I, I look for him at augusta I, I hopefully he doesn't have too much off the season uh or that eight months or however long it is, the pressure there, hopefully that doesn't build up. But someone else I look on that list, I wouldn't be surprised, is Zalatoris, uh, seventh in the world now. Uh, if he can just have – we saw we saw it last year. He putted his best in the majors, which is um, probably because you get on the faster greens, and that, that probably helps him a little bit. So I went with for Zalatoris, and then number six as well, Shoffley. I think Shoffley is going to break through this year. And probably the two best players to not have a major are Cantlay and Shoffley. And I would probably think Shoffley would get it uh, before Cantlay, but uh, I'm not 100% on that. But if I had to bet, I would pick Shoffley in that uh, in that heads up. Yeah, and, and Woody, it's an interesting question, especially leading up to the Masters, because obviously Scotty Scheffler is the only guy out of those top 10 guys to win a Masters. Rory McIlroy, Cam Smith have been close. John Rahm seems like has the perfect game to win at Augusta. Patrick Cantlay's been up there at Augusta, so has Shoffley and Justin Thomas and, and Colin Morikawa. It seems like... You know, leading up to the Masters, there's a lot of guys whose games fit Augusta National. But to me, I guess you would have to favor Scotty Scheffler because he's done it before, right? You would you would have to think that. But I will say this: McIlroy needs to win at Augusta here quickly Uh, because it'll be like you know Phil with an Open, Arnold Palmer, you know with that PGA, the more, the more years that go by, it gets harder. And Rory is what he does said. Rory is playing as good as golf as anybody's ever played here lately. So if he can keep that form, and I think he will by April, I I still think that might be right with Rory this year, having a big year. And, And let me tell you something, if he does, if he gets that monkey off his back and wins at Augusta, ooh, he might win two or three. You you just don't know for sure. But all those guys in that top ten, it's pretty tough to leave out John Rahm also of a guy that I think will win a major next year. So um, what we always say, golf is the hardest thing to predict. I wouldn't want to do it for a living. Um, obviously, I would no good at it. But all those guys you pick, you know, you might as well get a dart board, guys, and throw a dart, and whichever one name comes up, that could be just a good opportunity to win. Absolutely, and I think you got to throw Dustin Johnson's name in there as well, the way he's been playing lately. T-Dub, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, on Rory McIlroy's putting from 2016 to 2018, um, throughout those years, he lost strokes on the greens. Um, but since 2020, where he gained only .05 on the greens, in 2021, he gained .25. In 2022, he gained .52. And I know it's only through a couple tournaments here in 2023, but he gained .84 on the greens so far this year. And so it's trending in the right direction. Do you trust Rory McIlroy's putter, especially at Augusta, but even in the majors? I'm starting to, yes. And I think him and Brad Faxon's work is starting to pay extreme dividends. He's putting the best that he has in his, in his entire career. And I, I don't know if maybe the, the absolute hotness of it so, so far will keep up, but I think the floor of his putting will be a lot higher than it was. I don't think that he'll have another year where he loses strokes gain on the greens, at least to the extent he did from t- 2016 to 2018. 
like you mentioned, and, and something about Rory they have to consider, guys, is, and this adds to the pressure, if he wins Augusta, he's going to be one of six players to have ever won the Grand Slam. That's all four majors in their career, and that automatically vaults him into a top ten player of all time, pretty much automatically, and borderline top five player of all time. So there is an immense amount of pressure for Rory, not just, just to win at Augusta, but everything else that comes with it. So if he's able to get over that hump as well, I think that even adds to how much of a great player Rory is and how much of a in-the-legend status he will be when he's done with his career. Woody, tell us about our friends at Quail Creek Bank. I know they've been in business for over 50 years. In the past 13 years, they've been voted as one of the top banks in the country. Woody, I know you know them very well. Tell us about your friends at Quail Creek Bank. Yeah, I got to spend last Thursday with those guys, most of them from Quail Creek Bank, including Aaron uh, Beatty, our, our advertising gal that, that takes care of us with the podcast. Uh, excited. Uh, they're really excited for 2023. Uh, I know a lot of people worry about the economy, and, and as well we should, but uh, the guys that I talked to that day about the banking business, they're really fired up. They, they, they're still looking to do some great small business loans, which is something that Quail Creek is phenomenal at. They're always going to be there for your daily uh, needs as far as the bank goes. I was more excited leaving the golf course that day after beginning a chance to talk with the people from Quail Creek Bank. They just motivated me. They got me positive again about what this world's going to be like. If they could do that with an old broken-down golf pro like me, just think what they can do to the average customer they deal with. So Quail Creek Bank, great bank, located 122nd in May. Go by, check out that bank. If you're looking for a bank, they are really, really a great bank. Absolutely. Let's take a break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And after the break, we'll get into some college golf going on around the country here on the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. And we are back rolling along here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And go get all of your local golf news from GolfOklahoma.org. You can see a bunch of college golf stuff on Golf Oklahoma this time of year. And you can also read the story on the upcoming, now it was supposed to be today, but it's coming up next Monday, the upcoming Hall of Fame scramble out at Southern Hills Country Club. And Woody, what what are you looking forward to most about seeing Southern Hills? I'm glad we didn't have to play it in this rain. I, I don't think I would have been as much of a ringer. I'm not really, I'm a fair weather golfer uh, in this part of my career, Woody. Right back at you there, big boy. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely a fair weather golfer. I was, uh, no, I was really excited when I got that text message from Tom, Tom Jones yesterday. It says we're going to reschedule. Because I haven't played it, I did want to get a chance to play it where the weather would be decent, which I don't know what next Monday's going to bring, but uh, it's got to be better than this. Um, I am excited to see it because, again, I've, I, I, I catch myself with you guys, especially I'm old school. I, I've got memories of too many old things. So when I think of Southern Hills, there are certain holes that just jumped out at me that were just so difficult. Number two was one of them that I can't wait to see the changes and the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to get a 
different attitude as I go further on in life. Change is not always a bad thing, okay? So I'm going to go about it with a good perspective, and even if I don't like it, I won't tell you. How about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time either practicing or qualifying out at Southern Hills when I played at Tulsa for those two years. And I'm excited to see the changes. Uh, even though I've seen them, I, I'm excited to play the changes and see how the golf course plays uh, for, for a mortal T-Dub, not just uh, the best in the world like we saw at the PGA. What were some of your favorite changes that you saw uh, during the PGA up at Southern Hills? That's a good question because I, I took away from it, obviously leading up until Sunday, I was not necessarily critical of the changes, but I didn't think they were necessarily overwhelming. But the more I thought about it, the more they've grown on me. I, I like that how they, they – like what he just mentioned, hole two it is a lot different. Number uh, number seven now with that new back tee box. I thought it would be a lot more confusion with it being right there by the green, but it ended up not being. So those changes, I think – end up being better i I, th- I think it would be cool if they had the hall of fame scramble with you guys playing out there from the tips tipped it out with a, you know a little bit of wet conditions playing just as long as possible but i know they're not going to do it <laughs> so cool uh, you. hopefully you guys i was already warned that i've been bleeped on this show before don't make a statement like that again or i'm gonna get bleeped again, okay? <laughs> now go on now, now. Now the question is, you know, I don't want don't want the listeners to get confused. You guys are not going to be on the same team. Y'all are going to be competing in the scramble, so we need some odds here. Which one of y'all's teams going to get it done? So my team is my dad, the Hump Man, Craig Humphreys, um, and A.G. Myers and Ken McLeod, our boss. So uh, I think that I'll probably have to do the brunt of the work uh, in my group. What do you? Who's playing with you? Well, I, I'm going to probably have to have a sub because one of our people ain't going to make it. But the, the, my committed guys is uh, uh, one of the members out at Oak Tree, uh, two of the members out at Oak Tree, Jeff Miller and Ronnie Roberts. Um, and then Jeff's bringing one of his business partners that's a plus one handicap, Sam. So, you need to get Riley um, Roberts out there. Have a little ring. Well, that, that, well that, that was going to be our ringer, but she's got another commitment so that she might not be able to play with us. Uh, <laughs> um that was going to be the real ringer. It's the secret. The secret to this golf tournament is where are they going to let Woody play from? Right. Because wherever Woody gets That is the all-American question. That is where every one of your guys on your team will get to play with, and that's my team is older. So if they give us enough advantage, uh, we could be a threat. But if they do what T-Dub said and they play us back, um, yeah, we can call in the dogs and piss on the fire. Our hunt's over. We got no chance. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some other really good teams up there as well, uh, considering it's the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame scramble. Uh, speaking of golf in Tulsa, guys, ORU is holding their tournament out at the Oaks Country Club, one of my favorite places that I got to play when I was at the University of Tulsa. They are holding their tournament, and New Mexico State is off to a hot start, three under through nine through 11 holes uh, today. UTSA is in second, along with Oral Roberts. My alma mater, uh, the Kansas City Kangaroos boys, are are off to a slow start. They're seven over uh, right now through 10 holes. Hopefully, the Roos pick it up a little bit, but the Oaks is one of those places. It's old school. I love the look of it off the tee box. It's, it's kind of what you see is what you get. I don't know if you guys have ever played out there, um, but it, it's going to be an interesting finish because the Oaks is one of those courses, T-Dub, that plays hard when the conditions are hard, but you can really score on it when the conditions are easy, but I'm looking outside right now. Uh, they could ha- pro- probably going to have a rain delay considering that the rain is moving through Oklahoma City right now. Uh, so, T-Dub, what do you think about uh, you know the Oaks and having these college players out there? I think it's a really cool deal. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. You mentioned the weather, and, and there'll be periods where there's not necessarily any lightning, so they'll be able to play for a little bit even when it does rain, but at least if there's as much rain as there is here, it's going to get rained out, at least for the majority of, of this afternoon, I would assume, because it looks like it's going to stay and probably stay for quite a while. So I, I would be shocked if they were able to get three rounds in of that tournament. Currently, like you said, New Mexico State leading Oral Roberts hosting a tournament is minus one. They are in second. There's a, a stack full of teams there 
at, at even par at uh, which is tied third. But uh, but Woody, I've never played the Oaks, so I'll have to defer to you on on how the course sets up. It's one of the uh, one of those uh, courses that, up in the Tulsa area that I haven't got to play that I really want to. Good golf course. It it, it really is kind of a sleeper up there in Tulsa that that a lot of people don't talk about it, but it's. Uh, it's a great little shot maker's golf course. Some pretty good driving, tight driving areas. Um, but, it, it, you know, when you got so many good golf courses like they have in Tulsa area, it, it kind of gets kind of pushed to the back. It, it doesn't get enough credit for what it is. But I did have one question because Sam said something that I was curious. And, and I'm not throwing rocks here, Sam. But did you say your mascot from your Kansas City days – is a kangaroo. It's the best mascot in all of college <laughs> sports, Woody. The Kansas City kangaroo. And I'll give you a little backstory here. They they asked Walt Disney to make their mascot, and he drew a Mickey Mouse style kangaroo uh, that I loved wearing the old school logo. So yes, they are not. By the way, it's not University of Missouri Kansas City when we're talking about athletics anymore because they're trying to make the transition. I know they just changed conferences uh, to ORU's conference. They're trying to make the transition to just be the Kansas City Kangaroos. When I was there, as the University of Missouri Kansas City Kangaroos. But yes, Woody, rue up. I'll be darned. Now you better play good when your mascot's a kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I believe that kangaroo is actually a fierce competitor in the wild. Very underrated. I think they have very underrated. Yes, yes. <laughs> if you're in Australia, okay? Uh, you know, it's a, I, I just, uh, I'm sorry. I just had to touch on that briefly. <laughs> I, 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 the, the, like we said, back to the Oaks. Oaks is a heck of a golf course. If you're in the Tulsa area and you, you, you think, well, where are we going to play today? It's not a bad place to go try to play some golf. It is a country club, so you need to call the pro shop and see if they can get you on. But uh, it's a really good golf course. The Oaks really is, Woody, a hidden gem in Tulsa. It's kind of on the west side of Tulsa right when you get into the city if you're driving from Oklahoma City on I-44, kind of over by that quick trip um, if you've ever driven into Tulsa. Uh, Speaking of golf courses, guys, I played my first 18 holes at Oak Tree National and Guys, it is hard. And now I played it in about a 20 mile per hour wind, um, but I eagled 16 and birdied 17 uh, and then bogeyed 18 uh, to shoot 79, guys. And I didn't feel like I was playing that bad. This this golf course, Woody, the days of just not playing any golf and going out there and shooting even par are over with. The the Like the pin was up front on number two. There is no way to stop it. Uh, if you were not in the fairway, Woody, this golf course has its teeth back, especially when the weather is like uh, what it was on Saturday, just absolutely windy. And I think that, you know, if they do get the big tournament that they think that, will, that they will get uh, here in the next couple of years, I think you could see some very, very high scores. What's crazy is you could still shoot a big number at Oak Tree, even when they said it was kind of soft. Um, yeah, it's mean. I I just played a few holes, Sam. I didn't play a whole round of 18 because I still have this in the back of my mind. I still think I can play a little bit. And going and shooting 90 is not going to help my confidence, okay? <laughs> so I, I, I stay away from going out and playing. I did, I did have one shot that I had to tell you about when I was out there goofing around. I got on the new tee on number one, okay? Mm-hmm. And I have, I have found that it is now – it was the hardest hole in America by far. Now it's got to be the hardest starting hole in the world. It if really does. you go back there and try to play it from back where that new tee is, you know, I, I just not I want no part of it. You talk about getting demoralized. Right Tell the listeners the what Jack Nicholas said about that hole, Woody. Well, Jack Nicholas did say this, and this was in 1988. He said that number one at Oak Tree, this is the hardest starting hole in any major he has ever played. And that, and let me tell you something, that says a lot when Jack Nicholas says that is the hardest starting hole he'd ever played in any major. Uh, wow. Woody, uh, and I also, I also thought Jack Nicholas said it's the only hole that he ever played without a fairway. <laughs> 
Well, he did say that also. He didn't. He didn't believe there was any place to drive the golf ball in the whole street. Why he thought it was so hard. What do you think he'd say about that new tee back there now? Oh my goodness! Jeez, <laughs> of course, uh, Jack doesn't quite move it out there like he used to. Uh, I can tell you this: Jack would have to take his pants down because he can't get past the front tee. Okay. <laughs> if Jack hit his Sunday best, he ain't getting past our forward tee. So I don't know that. That golf course, it, it, I'm glad that I don't have to play it in competition anymore because it would scare me to death. If I had to put my peg in the ground there and post the numbers, I don't want to do it. I'm out. Yeah, and T-Dove, I know you've played out there before, and the the change that I saw the most uh, was I, I laid up normally, I lay up on 14 with a three-wood. I hit it a little bit left, so I had like 200 yards into number 14, and anyone who's ever played out at Oak Tree National will know that this pin was in the bowl, but I landed it in the bowl, and it bounced all the way to the top, and you can't stop it within five feet of that hole if you're if you're above uh, that slope right there on 14. It's, it's insane how much harder the golf course plays uh, with the greens being firm. Oh, I mean, yeah, if you land in the bowl, especially because, you know, for 200 yards, probably a little bit downwind, I mean, you probably weren't hitting that much club anyway. So it's, I mean, coming in as high as it was for it to land and roll as much back there. And like you said, if you're, if you're back on that backside, that's going to be an almost impossible up and down there. You have to make probably an eight footer at, at best to, to get it done. But, uh, you know, you got to tell us about 16 and 17, Sam, the Eagle birdie stretch to, and, and probably the pressure holds of the, of the, of the money game. I mean, you got to tell us about that a little bit. It was a little bit of pressure because I was, you know, like I said, I wasn't playing that bad, but at the same time I was losing money throughout the day. So I needed a big 16 and I just hit a perfect drive, hit a seven iron up there to about 30 feet, uh, and, and canned it, and then 17, speaking of a hole that plays firm with that new green, I just launched, uh, I think it was an 8-iron up there, dead downwind, and uh, barely got over the front edge, was about 20 feet away, and rolled that one in for birdie. That was uh, pretty much the only highlights of the day. I just had to wait uh, 16 holes to get to it, Woody. Uh, by the way, 17, it has to be one of the hardest par threes in all of Oklahoma now, especially. I was out there the other day. It's funny you talk about 17. I was out there the other day, and uh, Ren Gibson and a bunch of those young players were on 17T on that back tee, and that pin was back right. And uh, I was driving around in my cart, and they waved me through, you know, said, go on by. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to watch this. And uh, I'll tell you what, I was duly impressed. Uh, Ren's the only one missed green. He kind of flared it a little bit right and caught the bunker. The other four guys were able to hit the green from that back tee. Now, there wasn't a lot of wind that day, Sam, but still, there didn't look like any room to land that golf ball and keep it on the green. But all all of them were able to do it. Rim would like to say it was the only one hitting the bunker. But uh, so the, it, it, the shots can be – you can do it. Uh, I mean, I just think it takes – well, it's going to take some really quality golf shots. I, I hope that the membership – doesn't get too frustrated uh, through the spring and into next summer before they can kind of get them soft. Um, I hope they don't get too frustrated with it because it is going to be hard. It's very hard. No, it's definitely very hard. But what I love about the changes, Woody, is the fact that it rewards good golf shots and the greens, especially, you know, if you start it on the right line, that ball's going to go in the hole. And, and that's one thing that I think is a little bit easier from the old greens is, is these greens are as pure as they get. And uh, T-Dub, it, it, I know you haven't been out there yet, um, but these greens are not grainy whatsoever. They look like, it, if you didn't know that they were Bermuda, you would think that they're just really just pure greens. And, and it just, to me, once I started the ball on the right line it was going in the hole right Woody that is a fact I was I was really excited for as young as they are I mean you know Sam remember when we drove around they, there was a lot of holes that weren't even in yet uh, really good so for us to drive around that day and then how good they they got before they kind of going into the winter uh, that's what excites me because I, I just think here's the great thing about that as good as we think they are now Sam They'll be better next summer. Yep. And then they'll be better the summer after that. And the summer after that. They just get better and better, especially because you know Tom Jones and Steve Kimmel and John Sandell 
and our superintendent and Everett Dobson, which owns the golf course, you know they are not going to take any chances of not maintaining those greens to the best possible potential that you can maintain. So kudos to, to all those guys for getting that job done, and good luck to our members because they always used to complain in the summer how the greens got too soft. Well, you won't have to worry about that anymore, guys. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> be careful right. what you get for. And, and then be t- careful what you Definitely be careful what you ask for. And then, T-Dub, the last thing that I had to say about the golf course that makes it tougher now is obviously there was no play on it for an entire year, so the rough is up a little bit, even this time of year, even when the grass is getting a little bit dormant. And I had some chip shots right off the green uh, where the ball was buried in the rough, and and there's just – you, you kind of have no chance, but you got to hit a great shot to get the ball close. And, and that's the type of stuff that makes the golf course really hard, even for a good player, T-Dub. I, I'm just really excited to see um, a big-time tournament there because I think that uh, people will be surprised around the country uh, with how much teeth is in this golf course nowadays. Well, even before the changes, the toughest thing about that course, in my opinion, was you you had to hit the greens because if you missed them, your chip shots were going to be so hard anyway. Now you got a little bit of rough, and then uh, with the greens being a little bit firmer just because they're new, that's that's going to make those shots incredibly difficult. And so the conditions where you played in where it's 20 miles per hour, I think your 79 is pretty damn good in all honesty. So I would not be beat yourself up about that one bit. And, yeah, I'm extremely excited to see what the, what the future holds for, uh, you know, competitive golf at that golf course. I think there's going to be some great things coming up and, and hopefully we get to see some of the world's best players there because if you get a little bit of tough conditions like you played in and they want to set the course up, it's even remotely tough to, to what they can and what we've seen it at. You're going to see incredibly high scores. And for a lot of people, at least once a week, that's extremely fun to watch on an extremely tough test of golf. No doubt about it, guys. Uh, did we miss anything today, T-Dub? Is there anything else you want to get into? I know it's the probably slowest period of the year uh, when we talk about professional golf. Well, you know, a couple things that we didn't talk about and we haven't been talking about as much lately, and it's just coming up is the equipment stuff. You know, Scotty Scheffler uh, switched, uh, switched putters this week, and he had an absolute atrocious putting week. And we're getting into the stretch of time especially towards the, the the start of the year where we'll have kind of what I call the free agency of golf where people are going to go to their do, to new equipment guys. So that's going to be extremely interesting to see. And I think it's going to be more interesting with uh, with all the guys going to live because I'm not sure exactly when their contracts ended or renewed. So it'll be interesting to see if, if they renew with their guys and what their sponsors hold. Uh, just interesting tidbit they're scrolling through here. And, uh, you know, we've got the, uh, the live team competition coming up this weekend along with the PGA champ or the PGA uh, Butterfield Bermuda Championship which I believe last year had like one of the worst strength of fields of all time or it, that was the tournament that that couldn't even uh, field a, a full field last year so it'll be interesting to see if they're going to rebound and get a little bit better field than they had last year yeah, speaking of the equipment, uh, I did read a story that Taylor made uh, is going to do their content shoot early this week, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, what the reaction or interaction is going to be like between guys like a Rory McIlroy and a Dustin Johnson, and you know even a Tiger Woods, because you know I know that uh, you guys have all seen the YouTube videos that they did and kind of released them on a weekly basis throughout the summer of Tiger and Matt Wolf and and DJ and Rory McIlroy and all these guys out there trying the new clubs and, and doing the uh, stuff with the foreplay guys and the for, foreplay podcast. And so it'll be interesting to see if it's as uh, jovial, let's say, as it's been in the past, T-Dub. I, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement there. And I don't think there's as much bad blood as a lot of people think, but I do think it may make for a few awkward um, altercations. And one other equipment thing that we forgot to bring up is uh, is Shane Lowry. I mean, I, I believe he used like five different putters this week. He broke one in a practice or in his first round. Fact that used one from a uh, from a, a member's putter who was in bag storage, and, and then went to the PJ Superstore after that and bought a new putter just off the rack. I mean, what an absolute baller Shane Lowry is. Woody, have you ever gone during a tournament and bought a putter from a, from a PGA Superstore golf shop? You're trying to set me up again. I know what you're doing, but I can honestly <laughs> answer. I can say, no, I have never done that. And and I never have broken a club during a round of golf. So 
I've, uh, I've, I've kept my, my cool in a number of ways, but I did have to ask one question of Sam again, T-Dub, before we go, our show's over. Um, do you have a logo of that Kansas City kangaroo? I'm sorry to go back to this, but I'm still struggling with this kangaroo <laughs> as a mascot. But you've been so high on it. You're fired up about it. Do you have a? Do you have any logo you could text me or a shirt you I could will show send, me that has been? I will send you all three logos that they have. My favorite is the middle one. It's just a classic yellow kangaroo. Um, the old school one, like I said, Walt Disney made. It looks like a little bit more of a Mickey Mouse kangaroo. Um, but then the new school uh, kangaroo came in, and it looks like that kangaroo would beat your ass, Woody. Well, I'm going to tell you, I might have to go online and buy that one then. Because uh, if I could what show you, up I will hook you podcasts, up with all the kangaroo gear that you want. Well, if I show up on one of our podcasts with that sucker on, I better get a, a, a salute. We have to make this happen. We have to. I, I don't even show up with my pistol firing stuff on this year, and I deserve to. I mean, I'm. I'm coming with a badass kangaroo if I get one. I like it. How about this? I'm going to pause the podcast real quick, and I want to get your gut reaction to each logo uh, from UMKC. How about that? Okay, I'm ready. So we have sent Woody the UMKC logos. Now, Woody, you got to rank them one to three, um, and also just give me your overall thoughts on all three logos and which one's your favorite. Well, it's easy on this one. The, the one that looks like Mickey Mouse, I'm out. That doesn't even get a race. <laughs> I, I'm not going to no, Even no, though I, Walt Disney it, made it? No, I don't care. I mean, if I <laughs> if I walked in a room with that, I'd get my butt whipped. I'm, I'm not wearing the Mickey Mouse. No, no. But now the the, the middle one and the, the third one, that's a toss-up between me. I, I kind of like that. For the listeners, there's one where the kangaroo's kind of going sideways with he's got a mean look on his face, and he's he looks like he's in full stride. But that the, the last one you sent me where he's got his fist pumped and he's got the logo sweater on him, I kind of like that one. So I'd go... I'd go the middle one second, that one first, and the third one. Who cares? <laughs> now, now, Woody, when we used to, when I was there, it was the middle logo. That the last one didn't even exist. That's very, very new yeah. within the last year or two. Um, but when we right. would wear that middle logo, like you said, with the kangaroo in stride, uh, that you see the kangaroo sideways, we would always get asked uh, where in Australia we were from when we were in the airport, and we would say Kansas City, Australia. Yeah, well, of course that's. You know, I mean, it's not like I've been to Kansas City a lot in my life, but when I've been there, <laughs> I tell you, the one thing I've not seen is a kangaroo. <laughs> I have never seen a kangaroo in Kansas City. So um, that's why I just, I'm still baffled how they came up with the logo, but I like it. I like I like both those. That, that one that you used to wear is pretty cool, but that new one's, pretty neat you know he looks like he's ready to go whoop up on somebody now t-dub do you have any well, thoughts here, on the logos I, I yes I, I do have so so the three logos we sent and we'll post these on social media that the first one looks like look, looks like winnie the pooh so I, i'm not really sure that that <laughs> one's a very formidable creature but the last two are, are some mar- magnificent beasts and i just want to state he's reading up on, on doing a little bit of wikipedia research there's apparently four different types of, of kangaroos. There's a red kangaroo, eastern gray kangaroo, western gray kangaroo, and an antilopine kangaroo. I think I probably pronounced that horribly wrong. But nevertheless, it says here <laughs> that the large males can be upwards of two meters, which is six feet, seven inches, and they can weigh 200 pounds. So, I mean, this is a, a very formidable creature in the wild, guys. I don't want to see a kangaroo if I'm just by myself. I'm running the opposite direction. No, guys, I can't believe there aren't more kangaroo mascots. I mean, it, we have, like I was at Tulsa. It was the Golden Hurricane in Tulsa. That makes no sense. Uh, so, by the way, I feel like the kangaroo is kind of more of a predator than it is than it is the prey. Well, I, I've seen those things in the wild because I actually did play in Australia one time, and T.W., you were right. They are a uh, they are a formidable animal. They are bigger than you think, <laughs> and what they do is they will kick the dog out of you. You think a donkey will kick you? These kangaroos are, are all in, all in. If they're frustrated with you, they can come after you. So, uh, 
you know, Crocodile Dundee, I was not. So I didn't go up to them and try to have a boxing match with them. I stayed as far away from them as I could. But they are a they are a big and a very strong looking animal. So they're they're not something you want to mess with. But Sam, quit trying to push this kangaroo thing. I'm trying to get by with just you guys having it. I don't I don't I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Golden Hurricane, you're right, but you know. I think there's only one school that needs to be the kangaroos, and you were part of it, and you should be really proud. Absolutely, and speaking of that, since we started talking about the Kansas City kangaroos, they are now up to tied for sixth up in Tulsa, so they're making a little charge here the last couple holes since we brought up the kangaroo. So, uh, guys, great show today. We will be back on Wednesday for the Live Team Championship preview, and so that'll be down at Doral. We'll have our full live preview coming up on Wednesday, but definitely go hit the subscribe button on Apple and Spotify. It's the purple button on Apple and the green button on Spotify. Absolutely free. Just helps us out and follow us on at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram for Jim Woodward and Taylor Williams. This has been Sam Humphreys here on the official podcast of golf, Oklahoma, the 73rd hole.